All right, so here we go. Welcome to the Swapcast. Yeah, I know. It's Phoenix Kalita, the person who told you that we were going to have instrumentals and a trigger warning and a show opener, and I have absolutely none of those things yet because my engineer is working like 70 hours a week. So y'all going to have to wait till this overtime season is over. Um, in the meantime, I have Krista with us, an illustrious... Hello. member of swap hello can you introduce yourself for us hi my name is krista daring um i am the executive director of swap usa i am a trans non-binary sometimes masculine person um i've been doing sex work for about 13 years um and i am from and live in baltimore maryland awesome thank you thank you for hanging out with us today i'm so excited Because I've been saying, like... Thanks for having me. I've been saying, I think, for, like, a month at this point, like, yeah, I'm really going to bring people from the swap board on, and we're going to talk about swap stuff, and, like, (laughs) I've yet to do it. So, see, I wasn't lying, folks. We actually have people from swap here. (laughs) So, all right. So, can you tell us, what exactly do you do at swap, for swap, with swap, to swap? Sure. So as executive director, um, I'm ultimately responsible for the sort of daily operations. Um, A lot of it is sitting in offices at banks um, or sitting on customer service with um, PayPal or other credit card processing companies. Really exciting stuff. Um, Outside of that, I do a lot of individual work with our chapters and our projects. Um, So I, my back, my personal background in org organizing um is um got sort of uh cut my teeth on the um uh the anti-war movement starting around 2002 2003 um also at that time had done a lot of work around um resisting um free trade and it's interesting now looking back sort of as a side note looking back at that which is that we were coming from you know an anti-globalization standpoint Mm -hmm. that was really about human rights and now like the anti-globalization movement is like this xenophobic white supremacist mess. Right, um, right. So it's like one of those things where I'm always like, do I bring this up? Like, I was part of the anti-globalization movement. It was like a very different anti-globalization movement. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that's part of where I got radicalized um, and um, spent a lot of time doing um, street medicine, doing some direct service um, out of that into working with street-based um, economies and communities. Um, I briefly lived, well, I say briefly, um, it feels briefly now at this point, lived in um, <laughs> Washington State in Olympia, Washington. Oh, okay. Um, yes, I am one of those evergreen kids. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I also did a lot of work um, with, additionally with Bashback um, and um, some class struggle anarchist organizations back then. And I've been doing work with SWAP for about four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I co- helped to co-found the local chapter of Swap Baltimore and have been on the board. Um, I was on the board for three years and I've been in the executive directorship role. Um, So yeah, I just do a lot of like organizer 101 stuff, some facilitation training, um, really trying to help people vision what they want to do with their local chapters because Swap ultimately is made up of our chapters and our members and that's really who um, I try to represent Mm -hmm. and try to support. Awesome. Um, Because, you know, I get that question a lot. People are like, so swap is an organization, but like, what do you do? And I'm like, we do all kinds of stuff, <laughs> you know? And I think people don't necessarily, um, appreciate, uh, like all like the side projects and trainings and a lot of facilitating things that swap seems to do. 
So, yeah, and then, of course, there's also all the fun stuff that you do, right? The day-to-day stuff, the stuff nobody <laughs> wants to, like, ah, oh, boring. But, you know, it is absolutely necessary to keep the organization running. So, of course, we are grateful for you. So, all right, from oh, what I've you. heard, <laughs> from what I've heard, like, the Baltimore chapter is just, like, amazing, yeah? Is that because you co-founded it? Oh, I like to think so. Uh, well, we're definitely going to like a big transition period right now. We just redid all of our governance. Um, I'm like a huge believer in, so there's this article called The, the Tyranny of Structurelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of folks um, really like to come into organizing with this idea that like, um, you know, rules or um, regulations, that like rules and best practices are like oppressive. And like in my experience and in my observations and certainly in the observations of that article is like, the less structure that we have, the more um, marginalizing those spaces can be. And that, like, as long as you have a process that is something that you can articulate to new people, um, it's, like, much more inclusive to do that rather than having um, one or two people who are kind of the, you know, the, the vanguards of a chapter or the vanguards of an organization, which is definitely not my approach to, to change. Um, right. And I think... Looking at the sex workers' rights movement, we need a leader-full movement, not a leader-less movement. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what does that look like in practice to you? Because, and I know, because I, I have to point out, you know, um, keeping it greasy, as we tend to say <laughs> in the wine cellar, but, um, you know, just being honest about it, there has been this reputation of SWAP being, um, you know, it says sex workers in the name, but it's been something that's been seen as primarily representing you know white um cis thin uh conventionally attractive sex workers not so much a space for trans sex workers or non-white sex workers or sex workers who um are um you know uh, you know have like mental health issues or have um are you know using substances and things like that and so you know it feels like a lot of sex workers have been feeling left out you know so what does leaderful look like in a movement that's been primarily represented by the most privileged among us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think that my sort of theory of change around that, and I think the, the board tends to agree with me, is that we just really need to be investing in those communities, uh, whether that be through a stipend system, through our board of directors, mm-hmm. who are ultimately um, you know, kind of the brain trust of the organization organization or in providing more um, resources and training to members who are existing at intersecting criminalizations. Um, for the longest time, I think that SWAP itself and many other sex worker organizations have been really focused on this fight for decriminalization. Mm-hmm. Um, and while certainly SWAP is an organization that is pro-decriminalization, um, I think that a lot of that struggle leaves a lot of people out. Um, you know, even if we were to decriminalize prostitution tomorrow, and this, you know, we certainly would be at the state level because there is no federal law in right. that we can do that for necessarily. Um, but it's not going to stop trans people from getting arrested. It's not going to stop people of color from getting arrested or profiled or attacked by clients because these laws are still primarily. If you're going to leg- if you're actively legislating something. Um, that's adding more regulation, mm-hmm. almost by and large. Instead, what we need to be doing is disinvesting from police. Um, so I think what our responsibility as an organization is to 
create a tool to refine a tool, which I would say is the organization that can be turned over to folks um, who are experiencing those intersecting criminalizations. Um, I hope that's what my tenure as the executive director looks like. Um, that's certainly the intention that I came into it with is saying, okay, what does the larger movement need and how can we use all of these resources that we have to mobilize for that need? Mm-hmm. I love that answer. And I, especially- and I think it looks, it, looks, it looks about moving people out of positions of power who've been in positions of power. Um, to be perfectly transparent, I will be vacating this role um, between May and August of 2020 mm-hmm. um, specifically so that we can have this turnover and like someone else um, who I think has, um, who will have experienced more intersectional criminalization can, can take up the mantle. At least that's my hope. <laughs> I'm still sad that you're leaving though. I am. Yeah. I'll, I'll be around. I'll just be, you know, hanging out with my chickens and <laughs> <laughs> y'all. I'm still trying to get Krista to make like a fucking sitcom about these chickens. Cause that shit you were telling me the other day was fucking hilarious. Um, Krista just has chicken stories and I would like to see a sitcom about sex workers who own chickens because it would be fucking hilarious and (laughs) we all need that in our lives. Uh, we all deserve that. I need to pitch that to Netflix actually. (laughs) See what happens. They're the only ones that can poop on me and not have to pay me for it. (laughs) And this is why we need a sex worker sitcom because sex workers just say things like that and it's hilarious. And yeah, it's, you know... You know, the guy, I think he wants me to be mean to him, but he's not paying me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I'm sure you're in the same situation, but the stuff that like turns up in my DMs is just wow. Yeah. Um, anyways, who my DMs are a disaster. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have this weird fetish. Can I talk to you about it? Are you going to pay me for it? Because. Yeah. That costs money, but that's fine. I, I'm glad you're embracing your kink. There's just a, there's a price tag attached to it. Exactly, exactly. I think my favorite one was um, some random, like, I don't know, presumably, like, white guy, because it was all very white genocide-based, was, like... Um, his like oh public pro- his public profile was very much like white genocide and like the Muslims and the illegals and the jihadists are coming like that type of thing. But then like he's DMing a bunch of um, people who are like either sex workers, like sex worker advocates or pro sex worker in general who are leftists with like these like weird like fantasies about like but what if I was married to a white blonde woman and she left me to go be with a jihadi and laughed at me while she got pregnant <laughs> with his baby I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> so this is very specific. <laughs> I was like oh man and I was like I don't I, I can't really work with this like race play is not my thing I don't know I'm not really comfortable but yeah <laughs> so that's the type of stuff that shows up in no. my inbox hopefully y'all's twitter experiences are a little bit better um <laughs> Ugh. I had one the other day with somebody asking me, um, you know, about how I'm trying to remember exactly the phrasing, but he invoked um, the what is that weird um, straight people show where they're like nerds, but they're like sensitive nerds. Oh shoot! Now I feel so bad because I'm like trying to use this example. And I've, I've like literally never seen this show. But anyway, when like, you say nerds, it just makes well, me think you, of the Big Bang Theory, and I don't know if that's what you have in mind. That's what it is, Big Bang Theory. Okay, he's like, 
what a, he's like, what would you do to just like those horrible men who are like weak beta men? And I was like, I've literally never seen this show. I'm sorry. I don't know where to even start with you. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. You have to like... Also, is the Big Bang Theory like some piece of like feminist propaganda that I'm unaware of? Because it, it has always looked pretty unappealing to me. Um, you know, I never got into it. I saw one episode and I was like, wow, I don't actually like a single one of these characters. And that was just kind of the end of it for me. So I don't <laughs> actually know. I know I'm going to get fucking hate mail for that. I don't care. I don't. I'm not a TV show person. Okay. I'm just not. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I don't. I, I'm not a TV show person. I don't watch Big Bang Theory. I don't watch anything anybody else watches. So sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> it tends to go. Okay. And this is how we tangent. Well, this is how I tangent. I just make yeah. other people come along for my tangents. Good, good divergence. <laughs> I, have, I have good tangents, I think. I think they're entertaining. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, back to actual activism discussion. Um, <clears throat> no, I was glad in your answer about um, having more leaders that you mentioned police, because I think that's something that's like really, really overlooked in a lot of conversations around sex work, um, around especially around decriminalization. And I think it's because a lot of sex workers who um, are ha- have typically been leaders of sex worker rights activist movements are the least at risk, right? Because I see a lot of people who are, you know, like the professional doms, but they don't necessarily engage in explicit sexual contact with clients. So, like, technically they're legal. Or, you know, um, mm-hmm. people who work indoors, um, who are, you know, I hate the term higher end, but y'all know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. Um, and it's like, mm-hmm. technically they're at risk from police, but, you know, and I find that they have been the face and they haven't really considered all the problems that come with police where even if we had decrim and, you know, this is something I've been trying to like harp on more on Twitter. I should probably make another Twitter thread about it, but just things like, um, you know, walking <laughs> while trans, you know, P- police are still going to stop you and harass you. Even if sex work is completely decriminalized in your state or your County or your city, or whatever, they're still going to stop you for being out while trans, you know, they're still going to stop and harass uh-huh. folks. Um, <clears throat> like I know people, there's, you know, been cases of people who have gotten, um, prostitution charges for hitchhiking, um, for just for mm-hmm. loitering, like what, you know, and it's like decrim doesn't necessarily solve those issues in particular. And I feel like there's been so much focus on decriminalizing as like the only goal that like once we have it, it's going to be some fucking like sex work utopia. And it's not. And it's really hard <laughs> to get folks to like expand their horizons on that, which is actually in its own way, somewhat bizarre because a lot of, at least in my experience, a lot of um, older white sex workers who have been doing, like, the sex worker rights movement are, are like, on that, like, libertarian shit. And it's like, mm. as libertarians, you should know how invasive this state is, you know, as it were. So it's like, mm-hmm. but so, it, like, it never crossed your mind that maybe, like, loitering laws need to go to. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that partially, and again, like, I mean myself swap we're still hugely in favor of decriminalization it's just like i don't think it takes it doesn't take the full picture into perspective especially folks that like um you know i think we like to say like sex work is not trafficking mm-hmm. and trafficking is not sex work and while that is like a helpful soundbite and is true um there is a lot in my mind there is a spectrum in there and there are plenty of people who are working who don't want to work yeah um and they don't want to be doing transactional sex and i don't think that like 
the conversation around decriminalization really represents that perspective very well a lot of the time. Um, and it's you sort of have to, I think a lot of us sort of adapt the, the, the happy hooker like persona, even if we don't necessarily feel that way, because it feels necessary for the fight for decriminalization. Right. And while some of us can do that, can sort of play that drag, it's really alienating to a lot of other people. I've had those conversations with people who are doing transactional sex that are like, I feel like I don't identify as a sex worker. Sex worker is a political term. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm turning tricks to like survive. And I right. don't. You know, while decriminalization ultimately is like a good thing, I'm just like not, I'm not emotionally invested in the way that other people are. And I think it's, that's another constituency that I think is really important that like Mm -hmm. SWAP continue to work to be representative of because, you know, not everybody is doing this and having a great time or they're not having a great time all the time. And that's okay. And we can still do harm reduction around that um, Mm. without saying, oh, well, you have to be 100% on board or, you know, we're not doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's that's reasonable either right yeah i've noticed what i've talked about that on social media i get a lot of pushback from um sex workers who have like way more privilege when i've talked about it was like oh yeah i was doing sex work and like yeah i was meeting my bills but it was miserable and it was horrible and i didn't want to do it but because of um like my health conditions because of my living conditions um not having like a college degree i couldn't just go get a job that paid me a wage you know doing like nine to five stuff uh, in a situation where I would have been safe or I would have been um, legal, you know, and it's like so sex mm-hmm. work was at a time for like the only option. And like, I, I find that a lot of people don't like it when I say that. <laughs> and I'm like, but that was the reality of the situation. And I also find that people are mad that mm-hmm. I say sex worker when I say that. Because, and I, I certainly understand yeah. the perspective that people were like, I'm just going to call myself, you know, like a prostitute or a hooker because that's like the reality of my job. I certainly respect that. But I personally, um, even for, you know, situations like that, I still say sex work because what I'm doing is still labor and it's really mm-hmm. just like a testament to how distorted views around labor are in this country. Right. And, you know, I've made like right. so many threads about this, but I'm like, you know, if I could do like anything in the world, I would have like a little independent farm and I would raise like chickens and goats and I would give my neighbors eggs and fresh vegetables and, you know, but of course maintaining a farm is work. Maintaining livestock is work, but because I'm not getting paid 10 bucks an hour by a CEO who makes $10,000 an hour, suddenly it's not real labor. And it's like, right. but it's still also, blood. Are we going to end up on a cute retired sex worker farm together? Cause that is kind of my dream. Are there going to be goats? We can have goats. <laughs> then yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, beautiful, I totally beautiful. want that. Like that's just like the because yeah. because you know what I think that's the best thing in the world because like I love being outdoors and doing those type of things. Um, and you know I'm a I'm I'm a fucking dork. I am like the ultimate like homesteader, do it yourself nerd. You know, like I actually used to like volunteer with like a living history museum to be like this is how the they yeah. were doing it in, like, 1880. I'm like, I would like to know more. <laughs> I'll learn how to make soap by hand. So cool. What? And feed chickens and, you know, whatever. But, yeah, no, I love that stuff. But people don't see that as labor because it's like you're not, like, clocking in and getting a paycheck from someone. You know, you don't have, like, a scheduled break or a scheduled lunch break or whatever. And so people have a really hard time viewing that sort of labor as legitimate work. And that's something that's, like, super frustrating to me mm-hmm. about the sex work conversation is, like, um, 
just because you don't like what you're doing or just because it doesn't involve a time clock doesn't mean that it's not legitimate labor. And I just think that that's like sort of indicative of as a society how skewed our opinions on labor are. Like, it is wild. Like, really? Mm-hmm. Someone can spend, you know, eight hours a day sweating, planting a field full of crops, and you're like, it's not a real job because they didn't have a time clock. Really? <laughs> and, you know, the same thing with sex work. Like, oh, so you made your own website, put up your own ads, uh, screened your own clients, negotiated your own fees, uh, showed up to your, you know, showed up to your, in- where you have, you rent an in-call, which, you know, is a whole other thing. And then your client shows up, you perform right. the services that were previously negotiated, but somehow this isn't work. What? What? That was a lot of steps I just said to get to the final result. There was the screening and the website and the posting, the ad and the negotiating the services and the getting paid for the services and the whole, like, what? Like, how is this not work? What? So, yeah, that's just something that's like super frustrating to me and the whole conversation. Like, huh. but you didn't punch a time clock. For sure. I mean, I think that it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's just like the overall devaluing. I mean, it's certainly... You know, there are so many sex workers that are not women, but like to me, it is part of like a larger system of like devaluing feminine labor, whether those be cis women or trans women, um, or those that are otherwise like put into like reproductive, like this idea of like reproductive labor. So people right. who are like basically comforting men mm-hmm. and raising their children and having sex with them, and this whole idea that it's like, oh, it's just kind of like what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of it actually being considered work, I mean, we saw this in the, the wages for housework movement, um, yeah. in like the 1970s, like, which I think we have a, as a movement, we have a lot to learn from, from the wages for housework, yes. um, movement and what they, and the conversations that they had, because what we are doing is work even, you know, certainly to the point of like creating a website and all of that, but even just, you know, um, the very tiring exhausting labor of entertaining men in and of itself (laughs) is an incredible amount of labor. You know, which I have to say is something wild that I've observed that, because, you know, I thought maybe it was just me from, you know, when I was uh, in the industry and, like, I see it from other folks, too, is that a lot of, because people just assume, like, oh, you're a sex worker, like, a dude just walks in to wherever or you go, you know, into a corner, into a car with him and he's just, you know, just, you know, fucking you for an hour or whatever. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of, yes, I will listen to you talk about your estranged children who hate you. Yes, I will hear you talk about your ex-wife. Yes, I will tell you, let you tell me how much you hate your boss. Yep, I'm basically a mental health professional at this point. Yep, tell me how you feel. How does that make you feel? Like, that type of stuff. And so many people really refuse to accept that that is a reality, no matter how many sex workers say, like, yeah, no, actually, we listen to dudes talk about their problems, like, all the time. And, like, their life struggles and how they feel. And it's, like, but that can't possibly be why someone would see a sex worker. Like, literally just has to be about straight fucking, nothing else. And it's, like, um, but there's so much more. And it's, yeah, I think you're absolutely right with the whole devaluing labor, particularly what is perceived as feminine labor of, but that's just what women are supposed to do, so therefore it doesn't actually count as work somehow. (laughs) It's, like... Okay. Faking orgasms is a lot of work. It is a lot of fucking work to convincingly fake many, many orgasms, which is at least minimally what a lot of us are doing, if not even the the sort of therapizing aspect. Oh, man. (laughs) I know I made you come at least like six times, right? Yes. Yes, you did. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) 
but don't you like the way the <laughs> I think the worst is they're like, don't you like the way I'm doing this whatever the thing is, whether it's like penetration or oral sex or don't you like the way I'm doing this thing to you? Yep, love it, amazing. Never had it like this before. Sure, it's great. <laughs> way to go, champ. <laughs> I see we're just spilling all the tea here. All right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Massaging the male ego. It's a big part. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I think that, yeah, but people don't consider that to be work. But it's like, it's incredibly stressful. It's very much work. And a lot of it is, I think, based on, um, like, your somewhat position in society, especially if you're someone who's read as a woman or someone who's, like, feminine or assumed to be a woman because you've basically spent your whole life training for this uh, sort of labor, but because it's so normalized, people really don't accept that it is labor, you know? And, like, that's super right. frustrating. It's super frustrating. <laughs> but it's work, so pay me for it because I don't actually have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I tend know. to not be super invested in the sort of, like, idea of, like, sex work as, like... um you know, something that like changes society in a sort of revolutionary way. But I, I do actually think it's interesting the way that, um, you know, the antis and the prohibitionists talk about how porn and sex work is like really bad for society. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I actually think it's it, because we're in capitalism. I'm an anti-capitalist. Like, I wish that this was not the case. Mm -hmm. I continually fight for this not to be the case. But because we're in this system, I think it is helpful for men to feel like they have to pay money or at least offer something in order to access that labor. Yeah. And that it's not just a given. I think that's an important, like, social mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, there's, of course, a lot of problems there that then, like, you know, um, means that only certain men, primarily, like, cis white men of wealth, are, like, gaining access to, like, that Mm -hmm. And everyone else is feeling left out. But there's also plenty of other ways that you can show, um, you know, your STEM partners that you appreciate them. That's not money. It's just like, but but STEMs are just like not going to do all of your work for you for free. Right. Which has been the expectation for so long. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I got to say, I just, I hate the whole anti-movement. Like, I don't, every time I see them, they say something worse than the time I saw them before. Like, do you ever feel like that with them? Yeah. I'm just like... Yeah, because like you saw in their recent um, indigenous nonsense. <sighs> oh, or they're yeah, they're claiming to be indigenous women. Yeah, yeah. we've talked about this. I, I'm. Do you want to give a little background on it or? Oh or sure, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, so I actually think I recorded something about this. Um, but yeah, so essentially, um, oh, okay, cis women who, from what I've seen, are mostly white women at that are claiming to be native women or indigenous women because, um, and now of course when you say indigenous or native, it makes people assume you mean like first nations or like native American indigenous to the right. Americas, you know, so primarily brown women. Um, but they're saying they're indigenous women because they're indigenous to womanhood because born with a vagina. And it's just like, why are you like this? It's free to not be like this. <laughs> like, don't, don't be this, like this person. Or why did you make yourself like this? Right. <laughs> Like, nobody's making you do this. Why are you doing this? It's <laughs> just, like, super frustrating. And then, of course, because they're, well, like... I mean, it's, just, it's just, like, so offensive on so many levels. It is. And then what kills me is they're, like, because we're Native, we get to decide who colonizers are. And apparently trans women and sex oh. workers are colonizers. And it's, like... Yeah. So, like, oh. I mean, yeah. And someone actually said this to me on Twitter. And I was, like, I'm black. I'm indigenous. 
Like, obviously, the black part of me comes from slavery. The indigenous part, obviously, there's all the genocide mm-hmm. and everything else going on. And you're calling me a colonizer because I once, like, performed oral sex so I could pay my rent. Like, is that what we're doing? All right, that's what we're doing. So, yeah, they're just like, ugh the worst but i think that's like uh, an overall thing with like aunties in general because the way they talk about sex workers is like so disgusting you know and it's like who said it you know like some creepy misogynist like on a reddit forum or a or a abolitionist i don't know the world may never know yeah definitely the language it's interesting the the language that um prohibitionists and anti like it's so inflammatory it's it's definitely like i don't even want to repeat it like on the on on the interview it's just like mm-hmm. really violent language that yeah. I've never heard clients use um, yeah. and I'm not and I definitely have like most I've like work, uh, worked exclusively indoors in a lot of different parts of the industry um, but the, the, the vehemence with which they and you know I mean I'm sort of just getting caught up in it because like the, the language is so intense and I've never actually heard anybody use it except for aunties mm-hmm. um and i'm just like you you're thinking of sex workers as i'm just gonna say a series of and i think most of you know what i'm gonna say like i just don't want to like dignify it by completing right. the sentence mm-hmm. um because it's so dehumanizing yeah um and i'm not saying there aren't many other people who've engaged in transactional sex who have not been treated by clients in that way because mm-hmm. um, i'm sure that there are um but I certainly have not heard that as a dominant narrative outside of anybody except for the prohibitionist movement. And so I wonder, and I mean, I think even, even the fact that they call themselves prohibitionists and maybe I shouldn't dignify them with that is that they've adopted this language of like prohibition of, um, you know, like American slavery mm-hmm. in order to sort of have this moral high ground. And it's like, we're not even ta- like, we're not even talking about the same thing and you can't right. gain this ground by saying that you're a prohibitionist so maybe i should just change my language around that because i think it's like dignifying that a little right. bit dignifying yeah. that argument a little bit too much yeah. ending modern day slavery or whatever the fuck yeah i think like the whole like calling them like abolitionists or prohibitionists or whatever is kind of like calling um team forced birth pro-life like you can tell me you're pro-life right, okay. all you want but if you're like cool with you know the current like situation on the border with detention camps in prisons and one in four kids being hungry and destroying the planet for corporate profit, then you're not actually pro-life. You're just forced birth. And like, that's just what I'm going to call you. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I feel a lot yeah. of like that, the whole, like I'm a prohibitionist or I'm an abolitionist or I'm just anti-sex. I'm like, ah, you're not, I, I don't know what the word is yet, but there's a word and it is not prohibitionist <laughs> with them. But, well, I mean, I think that's why we use swerf and they, and that's why, and now they've countered with this whole indigenous nativist idea, um, because swerf and turf are a slur. Yeah. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. But now they <laughs> call- it's literally just an acronym that describes their politics. Right. Literally sex worker. Yeah. But see, now they call us NELFs. So that's a thing. Right. Which like, I don't know if you've seen that, oh but yeah, God. if y'all don't know, NELF is, um, native exclusionary libertarian free marketer. Or native. Oh, ex- I don't know this one. Yeah, na- it's either that or it's native exclusionary liberal feminist. Huh. Yeah, because like that's they're like like you want to make they're calling 
sex workers and trans women. Yeah. Like, basically, yeah, anybody who supports... Oh, my any, God. Yeah, like, anybody who says, like, trans women are women or somebody says sex work is work. Yeah, they're an elf. And I'm just like... Because, yeah, somebody actually oh said to God. me, like, you want to make up acronyms? We can make up acronyms, too. And I was like, well, our acronyms sound better. Nelf. What? It's <laughs> like, a horrible acronym. It's terrible. But, yeah, so they're doing and that they're white now. women. They're not native. Like, they're white women. Oh my gosh, but one of the women who was saying that was actually on Twitter oh, my saying... Head is gonna explode over here. Uh, one of the women who was on that whole thing was on Twitter saying, like, I don't actually identify as a white woman because I'm Canadian. White and black are American <laughs> terms. I was like, what are you oh talking God. about? <laughs> white oh, is American? Lord. What? <laughs> so yeah, they're kind of rowdy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Nelf, apparently, I guess. I don't know. I'm a, I exclude okay. natives, f- white women from something. I don't know. Uh, I feel like they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but no, going back to the language. Twitter is a sad, sad place. <laughs> it's, it's pathetic. It really is. Like, just, and I just like, don't, like, I can't imagine the amount of hatred they have for trans folks and for sex workers for just, like, existing. Like, it's really awful, <clears throat> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But, um, no, just to go back to the language thing that we were talking about, like, yeah, I see a lot of that from them. And then, honestly, for the most part, the only place I really see it is on, like, honestly, like, Reddit and, like, 4chan boards which you know you assume mm-hmm. 98% of them are people who are trolling you know and right. you know haven't actually said that and you know and this is just something like that I think about and I know I get a lot of like disagreement with it but I think that there are some men who go out and look for sex workers to specifically treat them that way or to say those things to them mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily like feel comfortable calling those clients as much as I see them as being predators because they're not looking to purchase a consensual service. They're looking to go out and be predatory and tyrannical and abusive. And I almost want to make like that Mm -hmm. distinction. I think I know people like, I know people will disagree with me like, but they're all clients. And it's like, but almost every time I've talked to someone who has had, um, a quote unquote client like that, they haven't gotten paid for their services or they were um, pushed into something that was beyond the pre-negotiated services. You know what I mean? So it gets to a point where it's like, this is no longer a transaction. This is just an act of violence. And, you know, it's disturbing to me that this whole, like, anti-sex work movement focuses on those instances instead of focusing on... um, and you know instead of focusing on like transactional experiences we say okay i'm gonna provide this for this amount of whatever and they say yes and you come to terms and you know everybody goes home with what they expected and it's just like super disturbing that they would go through the worst of the worst to be like this is what they think of you and it's like Mm -hmm. no this is what you think of me (laughs) because yeah i can give you already affirming a bias that you have exactly Exactly, because, like, I can give you dozens of examples of 
you know, courteous clients of clients who are like, oh, yeah, always tip well and make sure you don't overstay and make sure you, you know, stay within the boundaries or the guidelines and everything else. And it's like, but you never talk about them. You only talk about the worst of the worst and then use the same language about sex workers that they use. And it's like, so how do you actually feel about sex workers? Because I've had that conversation a lot of times where I've had people call me some of the most vile things and they're like, well, I get to call you that because that's what Johns call you. And it's like, so like if a Nazi calls me a racial slur, do you get to call me a Nazi, a a racial slur? Cause a Nazi did like, what the fuck are we doing right now? You know what I mean? And it's just like super, super Mm -hmm. frustrating. And I hate that. I really do hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we see this a lot too, whenever there's, um, especially like sort of in this era of me too, we see people saying, Oh, well, if only, you know, he had so-and-so like taken the out, like gone and seen a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea that like, we're sort of like the, the like cleanup crew for like shitty men. Right. Um, and it's like, no, that's actually like not our, our job. Um, it's like men's job to be less shitty and not abusive to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just to us, but to anyone. Um, and that like, yeah, sex workers are not here to sort of filter out the bad behavior, um, especially when so many of us are facing like criminalization and like are not in a position to combat that violence. Um, and I think we see, you know, so many abusers of sex workers who are police officers, um, and they're using that institutional power as a, as a point of leverage in order to act out this, this really vile behavior, um, and, and basically get away with it because, you know, sex workers can't report it um, or otherwise wouldn't, you know? I mean, I think we're seeing a couple, a little bit of a divergence, you're saying, but, like, we've, we've seen in California, SB 233 um, and Salt Lake City also, where sex workers can report violent crimes to themselves or others without facing mm-hmm. prosecution for sex work. Right. Um, but I think, and I think those are, like, net positive things, but, like, that presupposes that a sex worker has any level of trust with, like, a police department in general that, like, oh, well, you're not going to get prosecuted, but you might still get arrested, you might still get assaulted. Right. Um, police are still going to then know who you are. Um, and it's just part of that vulnerability and this idea that, like, um, you know, we're disposable in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly the police feel that way, and I think that's why we're, we're targeted by um serial killers so often absolutely and you know i think that is a very important uh point to make because a lot of people don't realize um because a lot of folks do just assume oh you can just go to police no (laughs) no and even if we had decrim even if there aren't any specific legal legal percussions that doesn't help because once police know who you are you're still a target and you know i think people forget about things outside of just like even um arrest or jail or prison time because we have what like civil forfeiture Right. So police know you're a sex worker and all of a sudden, you know, something happens and you go and report a crime and they know who you are. And then a few days later, they show up at your house or wherever you work from and take all your money. (laughs) Right. Or they take any valuables you may have. I've had that happen. And they're like, who are you going to tell? And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, Because I think that's the thing is, like, or at least my understanding of these types of protections that say, well, you can report without being arrested, but that's, like, for reporting that crime. If police find you a month later and you're still doing sex work, you're still a criminal and you can be arrested that month later um, for engaging Mm -hmm. in sex work. And so it's like, if they come up and say, oh, I'm going to demand 
whatever sexual services from you. Oh, I'm going to take stuff, you know, from you. I'm going to take your laptop. I'm going to take your tablet. I'm going to take your money. Um, you know, whatever. Like, how do you tell them no? And you can't. And that's a huge problem. Police right. are very inclined to abuse that power. And yeah, like I've had yeah. that. Yeah, I've had that happen to me. Like I've lost my rent money more than once to police. But it's like, who do you tell? Mm. Their coworkers? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> okay. I'm sure this will go well. Let me tell your partner who was here for the whole thing and just didn't say anything that this is what you did. I'm sure he's going to, you know, report you to internal affairs or, you know, whatever. But yeah, I I just don't think people... Yeah, right. Yeah, right. People don't think about the... And Uh and I think it's really important that, like, the difference between, like, um, being protected from prosecution versus protection from arrest... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, because I don't, I, I actually have to look at the the language in two thirty three in California, um, but I'm pretty sure it's just protection from prosecution. Because um, even just thinking about it, um, sort of uh, like how the logistics of it would work, like you would still have to be processed in some sort of way mm-hmm. and meet with a prosecutor in order for them to be like, oh, you can actually provide valuable information, right? Um, and, you know, arrest in and of itself, I think that people don't always think about this. Like, arrest in and of itself is, like, this horribly violent act where you're, yes. like, potentially losing your housing or your children. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, going away for three to four days and maybe losing your day job. Right. Um, and that is just, I mean, just going to jail for four days can completely change any kind of level of stability that people have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and yeah, no, I think you're right. I think people don't consider that. And I think that it's, um, you know, well, I mean, again, people don't even consider that, like, when it comes to jails, not prisons, but jails, that most of the people in jails are there because they can't afford bail. You know, it's not like they're, right. you know, these hardened, violent, you know, serial killers or whatever. It's like, no, it's just people who can't afford bail and they can't, you know, they have to wait there for their trial, which, of course, explains how many plea bargains exist. But, you know, that is that sort of thing, though, because if you think about it, if you have to go to jail for three days, like over a weekend and there's no one there to be with your kids, where do you think child services is going to be Monday morning? You know, they'll be at your house before you are, <laughs> you know, and for just, sure you know stuff like that and I don't think people consider those things and then of course you know so now maybe this happened on you know the last weekend of the month and now you're late on your rent and you're trying to explain to your landlord why your rent is late when if your landlord finds out that you got arrested especially for something like a prostitution charge yeah you're getting evicted you know and I think people really I think you're right I think people don't consider those things at all because it just never occurred to them because that's not the life they live (laughs) privilege i would really like to see in the future and i and i hope this i think it's a conversation we're having internally is um swap really partnering on or with organizations to work on abolition of cash bail um mm-hmm. i mean personally myself myself a prison abolitionist yes. generally um but i think like abolition of cash bail is like a huge would be a huge step forward for our community and our movement mm-hmm. absolutely i would i would love to see that actually i mean i would love to see prison abolition too but you know one step at a time, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love it. I guess incrementalism. <laughs> I know, like, I hate that. I hate it as a concept, but it's just like, people aren't even ready for the conversation around prison abolition. Because, like, as soon as you say, people are like, but what about serial killers and rapists? And it's like, if you, like, do you honestly think there's more rapists in prison than out of prison, though? Like, right. really? Like, Brock Turner? 
ring a bell, you know, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah. Prison abolition is like a whole discussion and I hate, I really hate trying to have it because it really is the whole thing about like, but what about serial killers? And it's like, what about all the people locked up on nonviolent weed charges? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. But that reminds me of the whole thing when I think it was um, Bernie Sanders who said, um, everyone should have a right to vote even if you're in prison. And the first thing the right wing did was like, so you're saying the Boston bomber deserves the right to vote? And I was like, right, because he's the only person <laughs> in prison right now, right? Like, there's nobody right. in prison on, like, nonviolent charges or there's nobody in prison um, because they got caught up on, like, the three strikes bullshit. There's nobody in prison because they got framed up by cops. There's nobody in prison because they were, uh, like, uh, falsely convicted or whatever, right? Like, yeah, the only people in prison are, like, the Boston bomber. Okay, let's run with the narrative, you know? So, yeah, it's it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting on that level, but, It is yeah. very exhausting, yeah. Um, he owes a debt to society. Okay. You know, anyways, <laughs> I got sidetracked again. I do that a lot. Where were we going? Um, I don't think we had a specific place we were going, did we? We were talking about aunties and white appropriation of indigenous. Uh, I think we're just, I think we're just free flowing. Free flowing is good. Free flowing is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this sort of reminds me of like an internal conversation we have at Swap a lot, um, which I think is like, Maybe something people are interested in is that we, like, despite, I think, having pretty, like, radical politics, in my own perspective, like, we are an organization that embraces incrementalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly our chapters are able to, like, engage with that in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the times chapters ask me, um, you know, should we talk to our local police department? And I say, that is a t- totally a decision up to you. I was And... and Baltimore, of which I can represent as an individual, has mm-hmm. made the choice not to do that. Right. Um, for our own safety, for our own feelings of like what is productive, productive use of our time. Um, but what I usually suggest is like reach out to your local public defender's office. Um, we have different levels of engagement in um, LEAD, which is, you know, is short for law enforcement assisted diversion. Um, some chapters are more engaged with that locally. Um, it looks like it's interesting that it's like a thing that has one name and it looks very different across the country um sub includes law enforcement some doesn't at all even though it like lends that in the name so there's a lot of diversity in swap around like what the the best approach is and i think i think the strength of that is that there are that each local jurisdiction handles prostitution charges differently um and that also we're able to get like people are able to determine what their local priorities are and it's not like necessarily being dictated um you know from on high from the swap board um, it's mm-hmm. up to people to make that decision but as frustrating as i find incrementalism i also like see the the value in it especially when we're living in this like um fascist nightmare of the current political situation right all right so no i think that's an excellent point that you bring up and i think it's awesome that there is that sort of like lack of micromanaging from um, the main swap board because it is really difficult to put a uniform concept on like this is what you should do or this is what harm reduction looks like in your community because what's happening in Chicago is not necessarily what's happening in Baltimore or Los Angeles or anywhere else across the country, right? Like every place has its own individual politics on a local level. So no, I think it's awesome that there's like that freedom for independent chapters to determine 
this is what's best for us and this is how we keep our members as safe as possible. I really I really do appreciate that. I hope it's I hope it's working. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's I think it's going okay. I think I hope. But yeah, that's just something that yeah, no, I I, I get it because that's something I have noticed is a lot of groups will be like well, this worked for us here. You should do this. And it's like, we have a whole other political climate. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to work here. <laughs> but yeah. And even with, you know, Chicago, I know that um, there's rumors about a possible Southside Chicago uh, chapter opening up, maybe. And even the politics between the South Side and the North Side are different just because the North Side is. Um, a whole different like racial and economic demographic and that's not to say that sex workers on the uh, north side and south side don't share you know similar struggles like you know um both still have the same issues with police and both still have um you know sex work stigma and so on and so forth but you know white sex workers from the north side are going to be treated far different than black or latina sex worker latino sex workers from the south side so you know I, i even in like one city you might need um, different ways to go about approaching a problem. So no, I, I get it, and I think that's awesome because sometimes folks like to micromanage and say, "No, there's only one way, and it's my way, and you must do it this way." Your way might not work. <laughs> we might need something else, you know. So no, I get it. I think that's what, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Swap USA is is operating as a fiscal sponsor for chapters, and there are like the uniting principles and values that we hold that all of our chapters need to be in line with, um, and really a big push that we're trying to focus on as a board, um, and really be really steadfast around is like being progressive towards more racial justice because historically that's been a a big area where we've needed to do a lot of like growing um but yeah not every organization is for every person and like we don't need um in my mind people don't need to sort of force themselves into the same um space of the same organization just because um you know there's just you know just like having one or there's there be multiple organizations in one city that represent a variety of different textbooks in a variety of different ways and maybe even meet different needs than the same people mm-hmm. um and i and i think that moving in that direction is is a, is a net positive for us rather than having um really trying to just force people to be in the same organizations if they're not meeting their needs which i think has been historically um just the thing that the left has struggled with for a long time mm-hmm no, I like sort what, of like take it or leave it attitude with organi- yeah. organizing, and I think it's just it it hasn't served us well. Yeah, no, I love what you said though that not every organization has to be for every person. I think that's incredibly huge because you know even people who have the same marginalizations may feel that they have different priorities that need to be addressed over someone else and. So yeah, not every organization can be everything for everybody all the time. And I think that that's right, absolutely. Uh, something that maybe has been forgotten a little bit in certain leftist organizing spaces. It's like, we can do everything for everyone. It's like, no, you can't. You can't. And that's okay. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you just can't. But yeah, I think that definitely centering the most marginalized vers- uh, voices is always the way to go when it comes to any sort of organizing or any sort of activism. So I really love the idea that it's like, you know, 
we're doing this and hopefully you're in line with our values. But if you're not, there's other options. You know, if you don't like what Swap is doing, mm-hmm. there's definitely other places you can go. So, you know, uh, I guess for utilize, sure. encourage folks to utilize as many resources as possible. I'm, I'm down for it. I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah. And definitely, like, as in my role there, I talk to a lot of individuals and then some, like, local organizations that are not part of our network that, um, you know, I'm always just trying to make myself available as somebody mm-hmm. who has, um, I like to think some, like, specialized skills around organizing. And it's mm-hmm. like, if you have a question, I'm not going to be like, well, are you a swap chapter? I'll be like, <laughs> okay, well, like, here's what I think works, you know? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's not like people need to, like join join the team just to like gain access to some of the information and the resources that we have that's mm-hmm. like why for december 17th which like, we have not brought up yet but is like our you know sort of the biggest lift i think that swap does annually yes. um and we provide many grants to or all organizations that we can possibly fund that are doing work around that um mm-hmm. not just to our chapters um and, and definitely like around our syringe access grants those are available to non-swap chapters um, it's really about figuring out who's in line with our values rather than about like who's under oh i don't i wonder if travelers who's under our umbrella right <laughs> we don't right. have an umbrella anymore because uh <laughs> we we came to an understanding with travelers insurance about it but <laughs> right okay so december 17th what's going on with december 17th so december 17th um we are coming out with a new website this year, which Phoenix, you've been working on with me. Yes, yes. Um, we are going to be creating essentially a digital living memorial to sex workers that have died. Um, recently, not at the last board retreat, which was in 2018, the board decided that we really wanted to include all sex workers that have died um, that we are alerted to. Um, especially because we're seeing so much um, societal violence, um, environmental racism that is like that is contributing to death. And we've been seeing like this anecdotally, this huge uptick in suicides. Mm-hmm. Um, and that those folks need to be included in December 17th, not just those that have, um, you know, been murdered or mm-hmm. um, otherwise like very violently, like in a way that's really apparent, violently lost their lives. Right. Um, so the new website will have individual entries for each per- person. If we can find nice pictures of them, those will be on there. Um, eulogies or obituaries. Um, people can submit memories of those folks. Those are, are moderated right now, I think just by the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've lost somebody, you can you can submit your your memories there, um, so that people can come and spend time with those individuals. Um, historically, we've you know we've helped we've worked with other organizations to compile this list um, and doing it both for the United States and internationally, and trying to solicit names from other countries and other organizations across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like this website to be as um, with as many people that we can gather as possible so that we're like really creating this space that people can come visit. Mm -hmm. Um, Additionally, I'm also hoping to have um, a digital vigil for December 17th um, that it will at least have some of the the names and a place like basically like a Zoom call that people can call it call into and um, I haven't quite figured out the logistics of it yet like how do we make sure that's a safe space for people Mm -hmm. Um, but 
there are so many sex workers that are in rural areas or in cities that don't have events or are otherwise not able to travel to an event, people who can't leave the house due to any number of reasons. Right. Um, and I want to make sure that we have a space that is welcoming to those individuals as well so that they can feel part of community because the biggest thing I always hear from sex workers um, is how isolated people feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we can use December 17th as a, as a way to alleviate some of that, um, I think that would be the a good use of our of our time and our resources. I love everything about that. But last year, thanks. Uh, last year was the biggest December seventeenth turnout national or international that we'd ever seen. Um, I don't know if that was just the amount of work that went into um, gathering that information, and it was just like an observable, and uh, it was more observable than usual. But we, we were, I felt like we were more coordinated um, than we than we typically were, and yeah. December 17th is really, really hard. Um, it's, uh, but it's really important. And it's, it's sort of the signature of SWAP and a lot of other sex worker organizations. But it's kind of what the whole year leads up to. No, I totally get that. It is definitely um, the culmination of an entire year of work. But it's also hugely important work. And I do think it, um, I don't know, I, I think that there's a level of comfort in knowing that um, just because you're a sex worker doesn't mean that you'll uh, automatically be forgotten. Um, knowing that there are still yeah. people who, you know, will care about you. There are still people who will tell your story. Um, there's somewhere where people can find your story. And I think that that is massively important when it comes to the ability to feel humanized and to feel accepted and feel mm-hmm. like you're actually part of a community because there's so much with sex work stigma where it's like, you know, what are sex workers in the media? Like 98% of the time, it's a dead body in a dumpster to push a plot point, you know, um, or some incredibly like ridiculous misconception of what sex work looks like on, you know, a goofy Netflix show or something. And so it's very easy right. to feel. <laughs> I know, I know you know exactly what show I'm talking about. Too. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. <laughs> but it's so easy to feel. Um, left behind by everybody because it's really difficult to come out as a sex worker because you never know how people are going to treat you. It's going to be like, they're going to be like, oh, well, you must have had a horrible childhood or, oh, you have no self-esteem or, or you're all these things that, you know, the anti-sex work movement says about you. And it's just like, so you're keeping, a lot of folks are keeping this really big secret and you can't tell anyone about it. And then, you know, just due to a lot of reasons, you're excluded from a lot of mainstream sex work movements. So it's incredibly isolating. And so the idea that um, just because you feel isolated doesn't mean that you're not part of the community. You're still part of the community and the community is not going to forget you. I think that is massively yeah. important work. And I don't think that can be understated in any possible way. So part of the, the impetus behind starting this new website and also changing the um, the sort of metrics that we use to determine who goes on the list um, was having conversations at our last board retreat about the double um, violence that, that specifically trans women face um, in death, both in the death itself and, and then being erased in death. Mm-hmm. Um and specifically that a lot of trans women then end up, um, you know, being misgendered or buried as um, someone that they're not by their biological families. Mm-hmm. And so wanting to make sure that there's this space that, like, um, chosen family, gay family, what you know, whatever you want to call it, like, can honor um, and recognize 
those folks to who they are and not just this like obituary with a dead name and with you know a picture that it doesn't represent who that person was um and so i think it, it definitely expands out to the rest of the sex work community but that was really the the kind of impetus around it was wanting to make sure that like um you know trans men are being honored yeah. in their death as the way that they lived mm-hmm. yeah that's that's actually hugely important and i really appreciate that the amount of thought and time that went into creating this project because i think it's incredibly vital for the community I think it's important. It's very important. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for all your work on it. I oh. really, really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, Sharing that vicarious trauma a little bit. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, yeah, I do. And I, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, I periodically tweet about it. Like, okay, put up like 15 names. 14 out of 15 were homicides. Okay. You know. And it's yep. just like... Yeah, some of the most graphic violence stories ever, which, of course, isn't surprising when you consider the amount of stigma that sex workers face. It's just unfortunate that people see these stories, know these stories, read these stories, and are still like, yep, the system's great as is. Why would we decriminalize them? Yeah. That's going to encourage them. And it's like, okay. You know, like, I don't know. The, the I don't know if it's apathy or sadism or what with the general population, but it's... It's interesting to see how much they do not value sex worker lives mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i have like five google alerts that come in every day at 3 p.m that are just sort of scouring for recent deaths or like new coverage and mm-hmm. this year i've been doing a lot of work on like cold cases or things that like um sex workers that were murdered in like the 60s and the 70s as part of mm-hmm. um you know like serial killers at the time and because there's just like so, and with this we started recording names in 2003, and I'm sure some of these folks have been, um, you know, basically put these spreadsheets at previous times. We've never had this sort of like living website that can be updated and searchable. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's just like you know Excel sheets with people's names and sort of some demographic information about them. Right. Um, and they used to be pretty graphic, and I was and I made a sort of executive decision which is that I was going to take out um some of the details around people's deaths um because um I don't know if you had this experience but but early on you know we would these lists would be created and you would come to the vigil and you'd be reading out people's names um and as you're reading the names you would, would like sort of scan over the cause of death um and it was just uh it was so I, I felt emotionally unprepared for it mm-hmm. um, and then sort of had this decision where it's like, am I going to read this out loud to this like group of people right. who like may or may not uh, be able to have someone to go process this with afterwards. Right. Um, well, I, I, and I certainly, you know, console my emotions in alcohol, but maybe that's not helpful for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, same, but um. No, secondly, I think that, like, the way that we're doing it this time around is definitely good without having those graphic details because, um, like, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the websites where it's just, like, you know, like, pictures of dead people and how they died and it's just, like, weird, grotesque, like, yeah. like, I don't want it to feel like that. And, of course, there are stories of sex workers who have been murdered in the most brutal of ways and it's, like, sometimes, especially in, um... 
non like non American or non European publications. They'll include like crime scene photos and the news article, and it's just like I'm not yeah. trying to have like that particular demographic coming here. I want this to be about sex workers and <clears throat> memorializing sex workers who have passed, and not being about like, dude, look at this picture. She got you know whatever. Like, you know, whatever right. violent, gruesome death. And, like, I, I just I would rather do it this way to even avoid the possibility of attracting that sort of, like, demographic. Like, this is not a serial killer appreciation website. We don't need the crime scene photos. If somebody was, you know, assaulted, we don't need to hear how many times they were hit or whatever. You know, like, that's right, right. not the focus. You know. And it's so, also about cel- celebrating life, you know. Um, yes. And I think that's that's... I think it's always been the focus, but I think we're refining it and we're figuring out a, a, a way to do it that is really trying to honor people um, mm-hmm. in the best way that we can. And fortunately, you know, web technology has progressed. Yes. I know how to use WordPress. You know how to wor- use WordPress. <laughs> yes. We're, we're figuring it out. WordPress is incredibly helpful with this. <laughs> All right. Um, way to go, team. Yay, team. We're doing team things. Teamwork <laughs> makes the dream work. <laughs> All right. Um, I said, you know, you'd wanted to record for about an hour. It's been about an hour. Is there anything you wanted to close out with? Um, close out with. Yeah, I know, right? Um, it was a very abrupt change. I mean, we can stay on longer if you feel like it. I have time, <laughs> but it has been an hour. So I don't know. Because I know people have lives yeah, outside of podcasting. To- <laughs> yeah. I probably need to eat dinner and go to bed pretty soon. What am I going to close out with? Um, I think that. It's interesting. I, I would have said three years ago that there's no way that I would have seen, um, you know, decriminalization in my working lifetime. So, like, when I was actively doing sex work, and mm-hmm. now I can actually see that as a real possibility. Yeah. And I think, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that. And so, what I would just encourage all of us to do is to continue to keep pushing. And, like, as we are potentially on the eve of what could be um, a very, very significant um, win for our movement that we now think about what's next and what mm-hmm. next what's next to me is abolishing cash bail um, and getting rid of loitering laws and de- essentially decriminalizing being trans or a person of color and how do we do that in really weird in really real ways mm-hmm. um, because if we just get this and we and we celebrate it and we don't keep moving that's when the movement is going to stagnate and and I think that we'll we'll really do a disjustice do a dis justice Mm -hmm. to those that we who have worked so intensely on this movement for so long and so keep keep pushing well god i'm like now i'm so excited (laughs) keep pushing um keep really putting the weight on people to be more progressive around how they treat folks that are criminalized um because that's the only way we're going to continue to win if we just take decriminalization and say great we're done um I think it'll be all for not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that if we were to get decrim and then just to stop and let it go, um, there would be federal criminalization laws within a decade, like recriminalizing. That's a good point. On a federal level. Yeah. Like, I could totally see it. Yeah. Um, that totally makes sense. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. It just like, that's just something in my head is like the minute we stop, it's yeah, it's over. And I, you know, see things coming back worse than they started off, but yeah, so thank you for hanging out in the Swapcast. Woohoo! Thank you so much, Phoenix. <laughs> um, and of course, this was Krista. Um, 
do you want to give out any social media where people can follow you? Sure. My Twitter is CB Daring. Um, and you can always reach me at Krista, C-H-R-I-S-T-A at swapusa.org. Um, feel free to send me your questions, maybe your complaints, depending on how irate they are. <laughs> that was very <laughs> hesitant. Always appreciate feedback. Um, but yeah, you can also follow me on Twitter, CB Daring. Um, lots of up-to-date information on there. And then really intense late night rants um, that sometimes are, are worth the read. <laughs> I love your ra- late night rants. Late night rants are the best. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right, y'all. It is Phoenix. I am going to get out of here. Please remember to stay as safe as possible wherever you are. And thanks once again to Krista for hanging out with us. And that has been the Swapcast. There will be another one soon. And yes, I swear on my mama, I'm going to make a show opener eventually. All right. Good night, y'all.